0: Welcome to Balance of Power on 103.9, 1450, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ken Kale, joined by two-time U.S. Representative Paul Hodes, columnist and political analyst Alicia Preston, and former campaign manager and senior staffer Matt Robeson. Well, Afghanistan has dominated the news for the past several days. So where do we stand now militarily and uh, how do you envision what will take place in the next few days, few weeks, Alicia?
1: Well, you know, first, let me say what a catastrophe on a foreign policy level, on a humanitarian level. uh, What's happening in Afghanistan as we speak is a disaster. Um, I you know, earlier today, the Pentagon held a press conference and. I have the utmost respect for our military leaders and our military men and women on the ground. But when I hear things like we're sending 4,000 troops to the airport in Kabul right now, they should be there today. I have to go, why on God's green earth, weren't they already there? I don't know what happened. We've got the greatest military in the world. We've got the greatest leadership in the world when it comes to intelligence and assessment. And we got it wrong. We just failed and it's sad. And it's upsetting as a patriotic American, um, but we've got to fix it. We've got to fix. And there's a lot we can talk about in angles, but we've got to fix the mistake. The Pentagon today also said they were asked, you know, you're going to protect the airport. And he, you know, the, the chief said, well, the airport is our mission. We're at the, we're going to protect the airport. And people said, well, what about the people that you're trying to get to the airport? How do they get there? Are they protected? And the answer is no. I don't know how we got here. I don't know how we got here so quickly. You know, we can all talk about whether our troops should have been there for 20 years or not. The point of the matter is we have to look at what's going on today. And for the Afghani people, for our allies that helped us and worked beside us, for the women and children, for the members of our military, for the 10,000 Americans that are still in Afghanistan that need to get out, we've got a serious problem on our hands and we've got to fix it.
0: Congressman Hose, how did it all unravel as quickly as it did? Um,
2: you know, the words to describe this can't be said over the air. Um, it's it's uh, I, I I agree with everything Alicia said. It's a disaster. Um, it is catastrophic um, from lots of different perspectives. Um, the so we, we won't go back. At the moment, 20 years or 40 years or 50 years, we'll 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 just deal with what is on the ground. The latest appears to be that the U.S. military has established control over the airport in Kabul. Uh, Apparently, there are additional uh, troops from what was the Afghan government, but it appears that there's not real communication going on between the U.S. military and those troops. The, the terrible, I mean, the heart-wrenching scenes from the airport are going to live in infamy, just as the scene from Saigon with the helicopter lifting off, leaving people on the rooftops. That is in probably going to end up as the defining picture of our 20 years trying to nation build in Afghanistan and it came apart incredibly quickly. Uh, and, and apparently catching, um, military state department, white house by surprise. So some of the, the situation is quite unclear. Uh, what we do know is that the Taliban has now taken over Afghanistan. Uh, in a recent press conference just, just held, I mean, just, just a short time ago, the ostensible leader of the Taliban who led the peace talks returned to Afghanistan, held a press conference saying that Um, uh, women and girls would be educated, that he and the Taliban were open to an inclusive Afghani government. Um, Whether or not they mean it, we don't know. I mean, their history belies any assurances they may give. Uh, On the other hand, uh, we are not at the moment hearing reports of Uh, of brutality in the streets. Um, We're not, we're, we're, we're hearing about checkpoints. We're hearing about people being roughed up. uh, We're not hearing about uh, executions and, and stonings and beheadings and, 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 and really awful stuff happening in the streets. It appears that after uh, the president, the former president uh, Trump made his deal with the Taliban without talking to the Afghan government, that uh, soldiers, police, government officials uh, of what was then the Afghan government figured out that they better, they better switch sides and fast because they knew which side the bread was going to be buttered on. They made their own deals with the Taliban, which I think probably speeded the in intensely quick collapse, because the military melted away, the government left, um, and and here we are, at the airport now. There are thousands, a few thousand American troops, with more arriving. The eighty second Airborne is on the ground, um, guarding guarding the airport. And so far, there have been, uh, at least in this in immediate time frame, no. Uh, hostile contact between the Taliban and the American military. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying some of this because uh, I think it's the human inclination to try to find some shreds of, of something to hang on to in the midst of an indescribable calamity. Um, there are thousands and thousands of Afghans at the airport, There are thousands of Afghans who want to get to the airport. Um, At the moment, we don't know of any thought, plan or effort by uh, the American military, State Department, uh, who are the two entities now involved to help those outside Kabul get to the airport to be lifted out. The military says it wants to get to one plane an hour, uh, nine to 10,000 people a day um, being lifted out. But apparently, there's a talk about a deadline of August 31st. Uh, so, I mean, today is the August 17th. I'm the, you know, 10 days, 11, 12, 12, 13 days if we can get 10,000 people a day out. That's 130,000 people. Um, uh, is that enough? Is the deadline real? Is the deadline going to be extended? Who's keeping track of the deadline? And at the same time, we now hear that there are talks going on between American military commanders on the ground in at the Kabul airport and the Taliban. Um, I suppose it's better to be talking than not be talking. It's better to be talking than shooting shooting at each other. That's those are, that that's all in the category of let's look for a little bit of light in this dark tunnel. So the situation is fluid, it's ongoing, and um, uh, it is uh, indescribably heartbreaking to um, think that there was not better planning uh, and uh, consideration of what was gonna happen when the American withdrawal was announced and and started to happen. There's, there is plenty of blame to go around. uh, But at the moment, let's just focus on, on the current situation. Um, If the American military State Department commanders, uh, both on the ground and, and, and elsewhere, can make a deal with the Taliban for, people around the country to be allowed to evacuate as refugees, we're then facing in both the surrounding countries, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, India, um, uh, uh, Pakistan, a huge refugee crisis, because there are hundreds of thousands of Afghanis who want to leave because they're afraid of the Taliban. And well, they should be, given the Taliban's history and what What happened in the country 20 plus years ago. Um, So we've got a a impending refugee crisis. We've got we've got this massive red tape hampering Afghans from getting the immigration visas they need to be part of the evacuation. Hopefully, people are going to cut through the red tape and say, whoever wants to get out, we're going to take you out and we'll 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 worry about the we'll 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 vet later that may be that may be what ends up happening um a member of the armed services committee in congress republican mike gallagher today said congress ought to reconvene and start talking about uh what to do in terms of resources and money and um resettlement um how many how many refugees evacuees are we going to take in this country and where are they going to go what's going to what's going to happen to them um, so the, there are many more questions at the moment than answers. Um, uh, at the moment, there is um, what has been described as an eerie calm uh, in Afghanistan. The Taliban is patrolling the streets. People are afraid to come out of their homes. Uh, and the airport is controlled by the U.S. military. So planes are flying in and out. Uh, there was a picture uh, in the news that I'm sure many of us saw, of six hundred people crammed into a C-17, um, which uh, exceeded the 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 carrying capacity of the airplane. It left anyway. Um, the 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 pilot decided to take off, and he took off and got those people out. Uh, but you know, I mean. We, as a nation, we are constantly reminded that uh, nation building is messy. It rarely, if ever, works. Our history at nation building is not a great one. Uh, This is without regard to the tribal politics of today's atmosphere. I mean, you know, we're not point. We're not pointing fingers. I will say, from a political standpoint, uh, Joe Biden came in promising competence uh, in the wake of Donald Trump. He was left with um, a a policy that started twenty years ago that um, had been uh, at one point with many more than hundreds of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of American troops in the country. He was left with a policy. He'd always been in favor of leaving Afghanistan. And uh, here we are. He stood by his decision. He thinks it's the right decision. And, and, uh, we've never a- the, um, and the United States was never able to stand up a non-corrupt, effective Afghan government. Um, and despite billions and billions and billions of dollars and thousands of lives and people wounded by very brave servicemen, servicemen and women who gave their lives and their limbs to the effort in Afghanistan, it, we learned the, the sad lesson that the Russians learned before us, that the Brits learned before them, that the Mongols, the Huns, the Sikhs, the Indians, you name it, uh, have learned that Afghanistan doesn't like foreign people on their gro- on their soil one way or another. And the Taliban was able to paint the United States as foreign invaders. Uh, and um, uh, it's it's a mess of titanic proportions.
0: Matt Robeson, your thoughts on the atrocity in Afghanistan?
3: I'm going to uh I, 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 I'm I going to go a, a different direction on this. I think a lot of the analysis and commentary that's coming out is wrong right now. And I'm going to differ a little bit with uh, Paul and Alicia. Uh, I think, first of all, that they are right to point out the difference between the decision and the execution. Big difference between those two things. The decision as to whether or not to withdraw from Afghanistan, I've seen nothing in the last few days that suggest that that was the wrong decision. In fact, as President Biden said, the events of recent days underscores why it was probably the right decision. But let's talk for a second about the execution and some of the bad things that are happening right now. I want to pick up on what Paul was saying about all the things we don't know about what's going to happen next. Are we going to see a massive refugee crisis? We don't know. Is the Taliban going to engage in a campaign of uh, reprisal and violence? We don't know. Are they going to govern like they did 20 years ago and repress the rights of women and girls? We don't know. In a commentary in the New York Times, one of the most astute observers of that region of the world, Tom Friedman, wrote this morning that exact list of questions. And to each, he responded, I don't know. And it points out, if you're having a hard time right now, thinking forward and predicting what's going to happen, it's very hard for people to do this. But put yourself in the mindset of four months ago, when these questions were being asked of expert analysts at the National Security Council and the State Department and in the U.S. military, the way that analysts approach questions like this is they assign likelihood and severity of outcome. So what you see in an options memo, and I I trained under the kinds of foreign policy leaders, National Security Council leaders who do this for presidents uh, when I was in grad school. So what you do is you put together an analysis that has bullet points on it and that says, There is a moderate likelihood of such and such happening. And if it does, it would be very bad. There is a low likelihood. And that exercise shows how hard it is to predict the future. So my point is, just because there are bad outcomes, what I hear people saying over and over again is, well, we got this all wrong. That's not true. That's not true just because there are bad outcomes doesn't mean that your analysis was wrong. You may have assigned the incorrect odds of something happening, but you knew what the bad outcomes were. You knew how severe they would be. You just might not have had the right assessment of the risk. And it's really hard to foresee the future. Just to give one example, There are up to 88,000 people that the State Department says may be eligible for resettlement and may need to get out of the country. And there are recriminations today, some of which I've heard on this show, about, oh, we should have gotten them out much sooner. Well, let's think that through for a second. First of all, you need to know who they are. You have to locate them and contact them in a country with limited communications, and where many of them may be in insecure locations, and you need to do it secretly because contacting them may put them in greater danger. Second, President Biden reports that many of them were reluctant to go. So you have to compound everything that I just said with that factor. And finally, the Afghan government was actively asking us not to create a bum rush out of the country for fear of creating the exact collapse of confidence in the government That we've seen in recent days and so yes we had a lightning fast collapse here but the assessment of analysts was very likely to be that if we had acted differently in this regard we could have created risks of a far worse and far faster outcome than we actually saw i'm not suggesting that we had good outcomes here what i'm suggesting is it's not necessarily the case that we were blind or that we made the wrong assessments. Sometimes there are risks of bad things happening and sometimes bad things happen. Now I agree with Alicia. It probably in hindsight would have been better to have the 82nd Airborne in place for a month with 5,000 troops there to secure the exit route for all the people we were trying to get out. That seems to have been a decision that we got wrong. But I'm not confident in saying that. And there was probably a lot of calculation underneath all of that. So that's my caution to all of the punditry that we're hearing right now, all the assessments that we're making right now. Don't take at face value the idea that we were blind or that we were wrong.
1: We were wrong. We were absolutely wrong. If, if our government, our people who have all the intelligence information and are strategists on foreign policy acknowledge that this is one of the outcomes and therefore that it's acceptable because it could happen, that unto itself is wrong. This should never be an acceptable assessment. And if it is, then we shouldn't do whatever we're planning on doing. Um, You know, Paul mentioned there's not the atrocities in the streets. Here's an interesting thing. On July 12th, and this is all coming out now in a rural province of Afghanistan, the Taliban had already started moving through country. And on CNN's homepage, anyone can read the story, a 25-year-old daughter regales the story of the Taliban knocking on her mother's door. And she was there and there was about 15 Taliban fighters and they wanted her to feed them. And she didn't have enough food. So they came back three times. Then they came back a fourth time. And the fourth time she said, I'm a poor woman, I can't feed you. And they beat her to death with the butt of her gun in front of her children. The atrocities have started. They're just in outlying provinces. A Taliban leader gave an order yesterday in Kabul to stop the searches and seizures of individual journalists and government officials that they were going throughout the city looking for because that's where all the media is and could see it. Uh, There's a journalist who is in Kabul. He works for uh, Radio Free Europe, and he says he's stuck in Kabul. Uh, His name is Uh, Mohammed Kazemi, actually on Twitter, his handle is Combat Journo, and he is giving real time play by play of what's happening while he is in Kabul and the door knocking by the Taliban to look for those who aligned with the United States or the Afghani government. As for, you know, we should have started getting people out earlier. Of course, we should have started getting people out earlier. The idea that we can't find them. One guy was on CNN this morning hidden. No name, no face. He's been an interpreter with the United States Army for three years, and he's in hiding trying to figure out how to get to the Kabul airport so he can get out. If CNN can find him, I'd like to think our military who's worked with him for three years can find him. It is very hard for me to be crapping all over our military because I hold them in the greatest and highest regard. We are a volunteer system. But something broke down and went very wrong. And let us not forget, our leaving Afghanistan the way we are, we cannot underestimate and underspeak what is happening to women and girls. Girls on Monday morning in some of the provinces were sent home when they tried to go to school. One woman who got out, she's a professor at one of the schools, she left. And as she left, they were whitewashing the nail salon in Kabul because women aren't allowed to do that anymore. That was on Sunday. They're lying when they say women will have rights. I believe the United States of America and the industrialized world have a responsibility, and a lot of people disagree with me, but to protect those that cannot protect themselves on large scales. I believe we took that responsibility after World War II when we divvied up the world and said, you know, we're in charge of this. We're the superpower. And we have spent a lot of time going into countries to protect those that cannot protect themselves. This is not the answer of who America is, and it'll be a pockmark on history. Certainly, it's going
0: to be. Go go ahead, ahead. Paul. No, no, Ken. No, you take it away, Paul.
2: Here's look um, America does well when America does good, um, when we act to avert humanitarian crises and disasters. Uh, I think we're looking at a potential humanitarian crisis and disaster. The last time the Taliban had control of Afghanistan, they not only destroyed history and culture, they uh, committed atrocities. Uh, and um, uh, I have not seen the reports that Alicia cites, but that it, that, that's all pretty consistent with the way uh, the Taliban has always been. They're an ultra-conservative um, approach to sh- 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 Sharia law. Um, is the ultimate in patriarchal domination and control. And uh, by the way, it's, 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 it's not unknown in, Afghan, in, in Afghanistan. It, it has been a patriarchal dominated place for eons and eons. Um, but whether or not there is a, a role to play uh, for us Anymore is at is is at best unclear. Um, I I I don't think um, I'm not sure uh, Matt heard correctly. I don't think either Alicia, well maybe Alicia said, but I didn't think uh, that that necessarily uh, we should have gotten people out earlier. What I can say is there seems to have been a lack of planning for contingencies. Uh, that's what it that's what it appears. That is that's a failure it, um, the intelligence community um, has reacted to to uh, uh, condemnation of in, as intelligence failure saying we've been telling people uh, of the risks all along we've been telling people what it looks like we've been telling people about uh, the resurgence of the Taliban, um, the State Department and our military seem to have been caught just flat-footed without planning for contingencies if as Matt says the analysis goes the way Matt's Matt says it does and to uh to 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 say okay here are the bullet points there's a, a a low risk of this a moderate risk of that a high risk of that I mean we don't we don't we don't know what what the briefings have been we don't know what that analysis has been but Somebody must have said, there's a high risk that if, if we make a deal with the Taliban, excluding the Afghan government, and tell them we're gone by September 11, and we're pulling out all our troops, goodbye, um, and, uh, and goodbye and good luck, that, that there is a high risk that there's going to be some kind of trouble that we're and we're going to have to protect our people, and um, we better plan for contingencies. So, I'm sure in the aftermath of all this, there is going to be plenty to investigate, to look at, to to think about um, as we review a trillion-dollar, multi-year failure to build a nation in Afghanistan and train a military capable of supporting the nation that we sought to build. Um, uh, It's just, it's, um, Afghanistan is intractable. You can go back and read poetry from the British failure in Afghanistan. It's the same now as it was then. Uh, The Russians The Russians for the past 20 years, they must be just chortling, chortling. Um, uh, And I'm I'm not even going to not even going to channel Putin here, but they must be chortling about the American failure. You know, the dumb Americans didn't learn from us. Um, We left with our tail between our legs. And look at look at look at what's happened. Oh, isn't it great? The Chinese must be thrilled. And by the way, the Russians are now talking to the Taliban. So, first of all,
3: uh, to Alicia's earlier point, I never said that this was an acceptable outcome. It's not an acceptable outcome. I've said that this was a contemplated outcome. There's a big difference. Just second of all, just because we're paying attention to atrocities committed by Taliban fighters now doesn't mean they haven't been happening for the last 20 years. I fully believe the reporting that Taliban fighters showed up at this woman's house and beat her to death. That kind of thing, if you read the news and the coverage of Afghanistan over the years, has been happening consistently throughout the country. The government forces supported by U.S. forces, have not had control of outlying provinces around Kabul for a long, long time. These kinds of things have been happening consistently for years. So it's wrong to suddenly say, well, this is caused by our departure from Afghanistan. This has been consistent. Third, Let's not, once again, conflate the execution of how we're getting out, where surely there have been mistakes. I mean, look, we left an air base and we didn't teach the local government forces how to turn the electricity on. So that is a, a tactical error that clearly US forces made on the way out. There have clearly been tons and tons of mistakes. That doesn't mean that the, the decision about whether or not to get out was wrong. I'm not sure what would have been different in terms of the kinds of uh, violence that we're seeing that have been consistently going on for years and years if we had decided to stay for another five years, 10 years, et cetera. The point is, with all of this, just going back to what we're talking about is risk. Right now, I challenge anyone on this panel to give me even a remotely accurate likelihood of what is going to happen on any of the issues that we've raised over the next six months. We don't know. It's incredibly hard to do. There are experts who spend their whole lives studying this and all they do is try and gather all the evidence and assess what the risks are. It is very, very likely that what they did was they looked at the likelihood of a rapid collapse of the Afghan government and they said, that's a possibility. It is a, a very bad outcome, but we assess a low likelihood of that. That kind of, that kind of assessment doesn't make its way up to the president of the United States unless there's a fair degree of confidence in it. Now, that assessment of the risks was incorrect. They were wrong about the likelihood of that happening. It obviously was more likely to happen than they thought, but that doesn't mean that the entire set of decisions about what to do was wrong. The final thing I'll say, one of the one of the valuable exercises that I learned in grad school. I was studying under a actually he was a Republican National Security Council member under George H.W. Bush. And he asked all of us, we were a bunch of liberal, you know, grad school types, what would you have done in Rwanda during the Rwandan genocide? Would you have sent in US troops? We all said you know, as Paul was just saying, America does well when we do good. Well, we're a bunch of do-gooders. So we said, oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. He says, I'm a movie guy. Play me the movie. So what what are they going to do? Well, uh, you know, they'll they'll stop the violence. Oh, okay. How are they going to do that? It's a country the size of New Jersey. Are they going to go door to door? Are they going to knock on doors and confiscate weapons? Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. That sounds good. Okay play the movie for me. Most of the weapons that are being used in the Rwandan genocide are actually farming implements, things like machetes and hoes. They're going to confiscate the the farm tools that people are using because they might be used for violence. That's, That's what U.S. troops are going to do going door to door. And so the complexities start to pile up and you start to realize, you know what? Maybe this doesn't work the same way on the ground that we think about ensconced in you know, safely embedded in in analytical chairs back in Washington, D.C. I think the same thing is likely true when it comes to questions like, all right, how are we gonna get all 88,000 potentially eligible people? Sure, CNN can can find someone to get on the phone. I, I grant you that. But can you contact all these people? What about the criticism, Joe Biden should have pushed this back to outside the fighting season? Okay, fine. You, you push the withdrawal back to outside the fighting season, but then most roads are impassable in Afghanistan during that time. So how do you get the 88,000 people out? You have to think through all of the nuances and consequences and risks of all of these decisions. And again, I'm not saying that anyone was saying that this outcome that we're living in right now was acceptable. I'm just saying that it was contemplated, they may have assessed the risks wrong, but It doesn't mean that the course they took was totally blind to the possibility that things could go badly. Sometimes things go badly.
1: Just real quick as a follow up on the the woman that was killed on July 12th and that this happens all the time. Look, in America, there's murderers and rapists all the time, too. The difference now is the murderers and the rapists are the government who have equal right to legalize murder and rape. And that's a huge distinction.
3: What, are you saying that the corrective to that is we should not have withdrawn? I'm, I'm honestly asking, what is, the, what is the better course? Are you speaking to the execution of the withdrawal or the decision to withdraw at all?
1: Both. I think most people can agree that the execution was an abject failure. As for should we have withdrawn, I, I do not know. I don't think we should have withdrawn completely. I mean, we, we've got military in... Germany, 70 years later, we've got military in Korea, we keep people, we have methods that I don't know, because I'm neither a foreign diplomat nor a military strategist, ways to try stabilize things. What I know is we cannot, we gave these women hope. 20 years ago, we came in America, songs are written about it flying in at night, you know, Toby Keith writing songs, we gave these women, these children hope. And what did we do? We took it away overnight we did this so poorly we changed their lives for the worse we've made every single one of them victims one man's on the news today that said he sold out of burkas why burkas because women are so afraid they're going and getting them now because they don't know what happened because there are some who remember what it was like before 2001 and the scary part is there are women who are young in their 20s in their teens who don't know what it's like not to be free at least free comparatively in Afghanistan.
3: I will agree that clearly there is an understandable, totally understandable and probably warranted panic reaction happening. I would be panicking if I were Afghan and I were living there with the prospect of the Taliban taking power. And we have seen reprisals. We have seen violence, no doubt. And so it's a warranted reaction. But as other analysts who know a lot more than I have pointed out, there are some differences between now and 20 years ago that make it really hard to reckon what the longer term trajectory is going to be. When the US invaded Afghanistan in 2001, iPhones, Facebook, and Twitter didn't exist. Now, more than 70% of Afghans own a mobile phone and the, the dissemination of information is totally different. The amount of attention that's brought to incidents like the one you raised earlier is totally different. When the U.S. invaded Afghanistan 20 years ago, it was on the heels of the Taliban takeover in circa 1994, 1995. There were almost no women in schools. Now, there are millions. There are tens of thousands of Afghan women in university. And so Tom Friedman raises the prospect that it may be a lot harder for today's Taliban to unwind all of that, to undo all of that. Afghan society is in itself very different. Now look, it is possible. It is possible that all of that will get unwound and that the consequences for Afghan women will be absolutely dire and terrible. That is possible and and it's a horrible prospect, but it's far from known. And I just think that that it's a little hard to try to both make a prediction and then base a policy on a very different set of circumstances we just don't know
2: I mean when's enough enough uh, 20 20 years um, uh, of nation building so here we go um, we we have to we have to root out the group that harbored Osama bin Laden um, took a while to get Osama bin Laden. Meanwhile, there we are in Afghanistan, the Taliban, Taliban melted away into, uh, wherever they melted away to Pakistan caves, you know, other places, um, under Barack Obama, we got Osama bin Laden. Uh, we had a lot of troops in Afghanistan. We spent a lot of money trying to keep the government going. Um, Uh, an undeniable series of of failure failures in building a government Um, endemic corruption seems to be part of the culture that we were we were we were dealing with and yes with the with a massive troop presence we were able to keep the Taliban at bay for a while so but what 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 would it look like? To stay in Afghanistan, what at what cost, at what at at, at what mission uh, would would there be? Um, uh, it it didn't it didn't look like the troop strength was able to keep the Taliban at bay. Afghans are notorious for rejecting foreign invaders. Which after I don't know how many years does it does it take for us to be seen as foreign invaders? Six months. One year, five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years in Afghanistan, trying to—I um, don't know what—remake Afghanistan in some kind of image as a multi, as a pluralistic, democratic society. Good luck. Good luck. Look, I when I was in Congress, I was, I was, I was, I was caught in the morass when the president called me. And said, I, "I'm. I want to. I, I need to. I need to send more troops to Afghanistan." And 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 the discussion was to what end? Well, the military tells me that if we can just give this kind of surge of troops, we'll be able to X, Y, and Z. And um, I ended up uh, with grave doubts in the in the wisdom of the strategy supporting. The president uh, at the time, and it was against my better judgment. Now, you know, right, wrong, who knows at this point? That was so ten or twelve years ago, whatever it was now, and 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 here we are today with the inevitable consequence of the decision to try to nation build in Afghanistan. The inevitable consequence was a bad ending. Um, Now. Matt might say, well, who knows if you looked at the probabilities and the possibilities you could assign a risk at the time to whether or not putting hundreds of thousands of American troops in and taking the country over and trying to prop up a government was the, was, would would come to a good or bad outcome, if only. Um,
3: That's exactly my point. That's exactly my point, is that we can't go back and rerun the experiment a million times to see what all the different outcomes would have been. Probably they're all bad. There's not, like there, there, I don't see a good outcome here from what we know. And so it's very easy for us to sit here today and say, look, the, the, the images we're seeing from Afghanistan are horrible. The things that are happening are bad. We all agree on that. But I really challenge anyone to lay out for me with confidence what would have definitively been better. And if you say to me, okay, it would have been better to have 5,000 troops in place several weeks ago to make sure there was a secure exit route through the airport. I can agree with that. That's that's one thing. But you start to spool out to a lot of other decisions, and it becomes a lot murkier. That's that's my point. It's very easy to backcast, to, to look back with 2020 hindsight and say, well, this didn't work out. Okay. But Try to do the same thing now with foresight. Sit at home and think to yourself, what is the right move to do right now on any one of these questions lingering over Afghanistan? And you find that the exercise is much, much harder because we don't have 2020 foresight. I don't think there were any good outcomes to be had here.
0: We only have a couple of minutes left. I would like to get the panel's reaction to the somewhat delayed White House response to the events in Afghanistan. Uh, Alicia, we can start with you.
1: Well, look, I don't really mind that Joe Biden was at Camp David and, you know, I just don't know why he couldn't have given an immediate press conference there. I mean, we've got technology. But why not just stay there and give a press conference? I'm sure someone said to him, you got to go back to the White House for optics. But then he left again and went back to Camp David. I think it was delayed. I think no one knew what to say. I was actually disappointed in his speech. And here's why. I am not a Republican who despises Joe Biden. I One of those Republicans, as a Democrat goes, he's actually palatable until he gets too liberal and AOC. But he's coming out of that fog a bit. But I said, you know, a friend said to me, what do you want Biden to say? I said, I want him to say we made a mistake. That's all I want him to say. And then, you know, give us some hope, some optimism, what's in the future, what the government's going to do, what our military is going to do, all those things. But I wanted him to acknowledge it because I thought it would be important. And he didn't do it. And he said the line. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but the buck stops with me. And then he took that buck and he split it up in about 12 little pieces and he passed it around to everybody else that deserves blame from the Afghani people to the Afghani government, the Afghani military to Donald Trump. I think anyone who listens to the show knows I am not an apologizer for former President Donald Trump, but this isn't his fault. And the reason is very simple, not because he negotiated with the Taliban, which I did not support, but because Joe Biden's president and he's been president since January. He is not beholden to a deal his predecessor made. He doesn't have to follow those rules. We know from all the executive orders he signed in his first month in office, he doesn't feel beholden to something his predecessor does. If he wants to blame Donald Trump, then he has to look in the mirror because he could have changed this plan at any point over the past eight months. It's not Paul,
3: clear to, to me that he could have yeah, Paul, you finish it, but I'm not sure he could have changed this plan. He He was under the agreement that Donald Trump struck,
2: right?
1: Great, look, but he doesn't have to follow the agreement. Donald Trump didn't have to follow the Paris n- Climate n- accord. Wait a second. Wait a second. It
2: was this was the right thing to do. Getting out of Afghanistan was the right thing to do. Biden was in a bad position. Unfortunately, from a political standpoint, um, it it calls into question the competence of his administration. That's the sad thing.
0: And that's going to have to do it for this edition of Balance of Power. For Alicia Preston, uh, Matt Robeson, Paul Hodes, I'm Ken Kale. Join us next time for Balance of Power.